todo el mundo. This is Stacy Lane Wilson, author and editor of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the films The Ventures, Stars on Guitars, and The Second Age of Aquarius. Rock and Roll Nightmares, the podcast, explores the dark and mysterious and sometimes funny side of music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. But that's just a jumping off point. Think of it as a 45 record you bought for the hit you know and then going to the B-side and discovering something really cool and unexpected. On this lo-fi podcast for hi-fi people, I will be interviewing, sometimes by myself, sometimes with a co-host, musicians, authors, artists, and filmmakers. Enjoy! Today's guest is an outstanding, talented lady and a very good friend of mine, Lisa S. Johnson. She's also a producer on the aforementioned documentary, The Venture Stars on Guitars, but mainly she is an author and a photographer with two incredible guitar books out, 108 Rockstar Guitars and the newly released Immortal Axes Guitars That Rock. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, Stacy. Um, for those who don't know, how long have you been a photographer and what made you decide to turn your lens to guitars primarily? Uh, well, I started, I went to college for photography and uh, that was in my late 20s. So then I ended up working for a, a photo lab in Florida that was a special lab that did work for aerospace industry. And it was really specialized and we used a lot of film, paper and chemistry. And I got to know the Kodak rep. And after a few years, um, I asked if, if there were any opportunities at Kodak and I ended up uh, working for Kodak for 10 years. And initially when you start with them, there was nine months of intense photographic training. And I was really so cool to get to take that training. And I, that's really how I learned to become a photographer. And then working for Kodak, we always had to understand our products. So I'd be shooting the different films that we were coming out with for Kodak professional film and papers. And so I would just start photographing objects. And I, I, I tuned into the macro lens early on because part of my personality is I just like to look at things up close and personal. And so I gravitated toward macro photography and, um, 
so that's what I was I was doing. And then I ended up um, meeting somebody who introduced me to the world of guitars. My father is a guitar player. And uh, I want I was dating him. My father told me I wasn't allowed to date musicians. <laughs> and uh, he was the guitar player at church. So I called up my dad and said, listen, dad, I'm dating a guitar player, but he is the guitar player at church and he owns a vintage guitar store. And my dad said, oh, that's that's no problem. You can date him. He's not a touring musician and he has a vintage guitar store. So, hey, if he ever gets in a Gibson mandolin, I've always wanted one. And so uh, a couple of weeks later, he got in this Gibson mandolin and I said, I'd like to get that from my dad. How much? And he said, you can't afford it. But if you photograph some guitars for me, I have to sell. I'll trade you for the mandolin. So that's what I did. I photographed some guitars for him in a vintage style with a black and white film Kodak had just come out with. And uh, I hand tinted the guitar images like you would old school ways of hand tinting blush on and things and oh, wow. hand tinted the, the guitar, these vintage guitars. So it was perfect. And um, I fell in love with my photography for the first time. That was the first time I, I honed in on a subject. So that was around to answer your question, long story. Uh, I started really shooting around age 30. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Around so, 30 years old. Huh. So yeah. Well, have stopped since. <laughs> no, you have not. Uh, yeah. Unlike a, a lot of uh, rock photographers, you, you know, you do sometimes shoot concerts and things. I know I've seen some of your work, but in that regard, but you do choose to spotlight the instrument and not the artist uh, for your book. So what is your technique and can you explain a little bit more uh, in detail what macro photography is? Okay. So um, every, I started thinking about it. I was photographing these guitars and people do ask, why don't you photograph the artist? Well, in this newest book, uh, Immortal Axes, I have uh, gravitated to photographing artist portraits if the opportunity is available. However, initially I wanted to portray the guitar as the artist as the object because artists with their guitars is already done you can you can find so many beautiful images by photographers of the artists and their guitars so this is a unique take because i'm showing the guitar as a work of art uh, showcasing the luthier work on it the uh, magic that goes into it in the artistry and also what the artist puts into it in their playing. So I honed on photographing the wear and tear details of the guitar. And initially I wasn't even photographing the whole guitar, but then I, you know, I got feedback from people and uh, they were like, you know, we want to see the whole guitar. So, all right. I, so I gravitated to capturing every angle of the guitar then. Um, but initially it was just to show how sexy the guitar is. It's got the beautiful shape and curve of a woman's body and honing in on that and on what the guitar uh, um, artist leaves behind on it scratches and you can tell how they play the guitar by what they leave behind on it without them being in the image so they really are in the image their essence is in the image their heart and soul is in the image as by what they leave behind on the guitar so that's now, my take Willie Nelson you talk about wear and tear I think his guitar may be the most uh <laughs> kind of you mm -hmm. know really battered uh what, should, what do you call it like uh, a war-torn guitar um is that oh yeah guitar? yeah well he decided not to put a or he took the pickup off of that guitar the Martin that he calls Trigger uh -huh. and uh 
so it eventually just all of his strumming created a hole below the sound hole and he's had everybody you can imagine sign that guitar so he's lacquered it to protect those signatures as well and he doesn't leave that guitar when i originally was requesting to photograph his guitar they were into it but then said it's not going to work out because he is just arriving on the bus coming off the bus going on the stage it was in a, a show in las vegas and then when he he curtain goes down he's going to take the guitar in the case and walk right back out so there's no time you know so mm -hmm. i didn't get to photograph it because he did the guitar doesn't leave his side wow. so uh, I was lucky one year he was um, playing at the William Shatner annual charity horse show uh, to uh, William Shatner raises money every year for for children, handicapped children and uh, how they can learn to uh, ride horse. And so he was performing out there and uh, I was we were working. My boyfriend, Michael, was working with William Shatner at the time doing commercials for his company. And so we ended up you know, through William Shatner getting the opportunity to photograph Willie's guitar. So that's how the weaving of getting access to some of these guitars happen, just by chance. One of the things I love is, you know, his name, the name of his guitar is so famous, Trigger, like B.B. King's Lucille. And I love his story, though, that every, every cowboy's got to have his horse and every axe man, every guitar man's got to have his guitar. So, um, and uh, Roy Rogers' guitar was... Uh, horse was named trigger yeah so yeah exactly kind of um some yeah. people may think that trigger means um you know a firearm or a gun or no something. it is after that beautiful palomino horse that was a almost as famous as his master back when they were making movies in the 30s and 40s wow yeah well you would know the movie <laughs> i do love horses <laughs> um so uh can you explain a little bit more about what macro photography is Okay, so macro photography is where you can um, hone in really close into an object. So you have very low depth of field, which means you're going to be targeting your focus on one small area and the rest of the area is going to fall off and oh. be soft. So you can really hone in on a detail by just having that one small section sharp. And I love images like that because it's abstract and there's a softness to it and guitars are sensual. And especially when you're, when I'm shooting these more abstract, um, when I'm looking for that uh, image, I go to the macro lens. And these days, if I have the time, I will photograph the guitar from every angle and then my last few shots are going to be my last focus is going to be on the macro shots getting the macros um yeah i mean well you kind of touched on this a minute ago about you know kind of being as relentless as you could to get uh willie nelson's guitar trigger and you know putting together these books of yours uh 108 rockstar guitars and now immortal axes does actually take years i mean people may not realize uh -huh. that you know there's not only a crazy amount of letter writing for permission, scheduling, follow-ups, uh, you know, sometimes these mm -hmm. involve assistants, guitar techs, um, owners of the guitars who are not the original artist, uh, museum curators, and you also travel. So can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about what that experience is like? Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is the work, right? I mean, the fun part is when you actually get to do the photo session. Yeah. <laughs> Getting to that place is 
the is a, a very arduous part of the journey and it's really the most rewarding in a way too because when you break through to the other side and you and you get what you're what you've been striving for it's very gratifying and then to be able to get in front of the instrument um that is like the moment you know when i've i feel like i've i've hovered over many holy grails uh, in the guitar world and it's been such an honor uh so yeah it's an intense um process of in the early days phone calling we didn't have email so I was calling. And so you're presenting yourself over the phone and faxing, you know, faxing requests. Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can remember one time asking ZZ Top so many times and not not making it happen, you know, like so many times. And then one time I just took and typed out in big letters, you know, my request and I faxed it. Um, yeah, it took a while to get to them, but... Anyway, uh, finally, I got, I got met Billy Gibbons underneath the stage of the Rolling Stones concert in Las Vegas. And wow. I said, hey, I've been trying to track you down. And I, yeah, I had just photographed Keith Richards and Ronnie Woods guitars that day. And so I told him what I was up to. And he's like, yeah, you can photograph my guitar. So, yeah, yeah sometimes you don't know if someone else is getting that message and just stonewalling you and like, you know, exactly. to give the artist the message. Yeah, you called it, you know, that's what happens. They're so busy. And, you know, after, so I started the project in New York City and I had a certain level of success there just getting started with Les Paul and Lou Reed and uh, John Schofield and Bucky Pizzarelli, all of the, at the Iridium Room. Um, however, they used to say sometimes, hey, we're into it, but we're so busy in New York with all the press and media and friends and family and stuff. We just can't take on another meeting you know another situation so when I moved to Las Vegas it was great because that was in 2000 21 years ago and every band comes through Las Vegas country western you know rock and roll so really it was the greatest place for me to be to continue and really project the project further uh, because every band came through so I remember when Kiss came through and I photographed Ace Freely's it was the first uh, final tour of kiss now it's the end of the road tour well yeah <laughs> it was like the first final tour they keep coming back like boxers who retire every yeah. few years um and, and but you know you've also i know traveled all over the world to get mm -hmm. some of these great guitars of course one of my favorite guitars of all time is jimmy page's double neck um yeah did, did you fly to the uk to get that I did. Yeah. Um, we went in July it was actually Michael's birthday. So we set up this really cool birthday trip where we flew into London, rented a car, drove down to uh, Brighton and photographed um, Michael Shanker's guitar, met up with him personally and went to this cavernous studio on the water seaside and photographed his uh, flying V's. Then we drove from there to um, uh, another area where we met it with Pearl Thompson and his wife, Diana. And that was the first time that I met Pearl and I photographed a few of his guitars on his boat. And then we drove from there up to uh, Bridgehampton, I think, to KK Downing's place. Magnificent um, place, uh, like a castle on a huge golf course. And all the golf holes are names of... Um, uh names of songs oh, wow. <laughs> yeah 
Um, and uh, so, and then we drove it back into London town and went to Jimmy Page's studio where his, it was, sorry, it wasn't his studio. It was a studio that does his design work, helped to design his books or different album covers or whatever, you know, whatever he was uh-huh. making the design firm. So we went there and uh, uh, they had double neck there. They had asked before, which guitar do you want? And I said, either the, at Robert Knight's suggestion, he said, tell him that you want the double neck. And I said, well, I either want the double neck or I want his Les Paul with the bow. And so when I got there, I didn't know what I was going to get. And Lionel Ward, his longtime guitar tech uh, at the time was there and he brings in this huge case and opens it up and there's the double neck, you know, just amazing. The history and the smell emanating out of the case. It's, it's really quite the cosmic experience. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, uh, I feel like sometimes objects can certainly absorb and imbue the spirit of the things that have happened around them and the artists that have played them do you you know you sometimes feel that don't you when you're in the presence of an instrument like that oh definitely and and the instrument kind of speaks to you it talks to you it shows you where what wants to be seen Mm. and that's where the macro lens comes in I'm just like honing in on it and checking it out and seeing it and smelling it and feeling it and there's a energy in the room. You know how you go to the concerts and you feel that energy, that heightened energy in a concert or stadium. Yeah. You know, the show is about to begin, or you know, this crowd is like really cheering, and there's just like that increased frequency vibration. That's what it's like when I'm photographing the guitars. It's intense, and there's a an, an amazing energy that's going on. And I'm a yogi. And I'm using my body physically really hard. Like it's like a yoga class taking Hmm. pictures because I'm moving all my equipment around. I'm having to stretch and move my body and angle. So I've I've got, you know, lights not glaring on the guitar, you know, like it to light a guitar is not easy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never thought about that. Oh, so like I'm contorting my body a lot of times, like leaning back and then squeezing my abs so I can arch my back forward so I can get over and on top of the, a certain angle. So at the end of it, I, you know, my abs got to work out. My back's got to work out. Sometimes I get a cramp in my back. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's why, you know, that your photos are so different because the angles that other people may not willing be willing to uh, go to those links for. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus two, I try to get into their personal environments if I can, you know, like, it was so cool to go to Lawrence Juber's uh, studio and he's got this beautiful Beatles blanket and be able to place his guitars across that blanket with that Beatles history on there and his work with Paul McCartney. It's, it's, it's really nice versus, okay, here we are backstage and I put down my black velvet background, which always works. And you make the guitars like float in space and it's awesome it's just still a different vibration than when you see it on a, something that's personal in their personal environment. Yeah. Um, now we talked about the photographs, um, but you know, a book has to have words to go with it. And uh, in the new book, Immortal Axes, you have a foreword by Peter Frampton and an afterward by Susie Quattro. So um, how did you initially get in touch with them and which of their guitars are seen in the book and any interesting stories to go with those guitars? 
Well, I mean, the ultimate immortal acts to me is really Peter Frampton's guitar that he named Phoenix after it literally rose from the ashes after 32 years of being lost in a, a plane crash that did happen. However, the tailpiece broke off and the gear, some of it was salvaged by locals and they never said anything. And as far as Peter and his band knew, everything had perished, including the two pilots. And then 32 years later, he gets this email with these pictures. Hey, from this luthier, I think I have your guitar. And so Peter looked at the pictures and he was pretty sure it was his guitar. And after three years of going back and forth and figuring it all out, he finally got it back. Wow. And I think that's so mysterious because he really, he really had a connection with that guitar. And I heard that after he lost that guitar, that he said, I'm not going to get attached to any guitar ever again, you know, and this guitar came back to him. And so it made me feel like he, the mission wasn't over, you know, this guitar needed to be reunited with him and he took it out on tour. He had it, he had it restored and he left the, uh, the scars and burns uh, from that happened because of the plane crash on it. And he played it, you know, he played it in his final tour. He played it in this all blues album and that guitar has some vibe. You know, it has an incredible history, incredible story. And that guitar brought him through the most uh, charged creatively time of his life. You know, when he when he created Frampton Comes Alive. That's that the guitar. guitar on the cover of the album? Yeah, oh, sure wow. is. And, and that's the guitar that I used to sit and stare at laying on my bed at that album cover, looking and being in love with Peter and his long curly hair. And, you know, he was the ultimate rock star. And after that, that's when A Star is Born came out. And it was like, that's what it would seem like, you know, and then the Who, Tommy and all that. Like they all had that long ringlet hair. Yeah. How exciting <laughs> to be able to, to actually see and touch that guitar that was lost for decades. Um, what, how did you photograph that? Where did you go? And, and what's the kind of the... I was fortunate to go to his studio in Nashville. Oh, okay. And I worked with his uh, guitar tech, Darren. And um, just incredible people to work with, very professional. Um, I came into the studio and there was this beautiful rug with a black background and these beautiful flowers on them. And his studio is gorgeous, cedar lined walls and it smells amazing in there, perfectly tempered. And so um, Darren was like, hey, you know, where do you want to shoot? And so I was like, how about that rug right there? And it's normally the rug where they put the drums, but it was out of um, out of the studio at that time. So we laid it there and then his Hammond B organ was right next to it. And that's the, the organ that he's had on tour, you know, Humble Pie. And I placed yeah. his his uh, Gibson SG, Humble Pie SG on the bench of the Hammond organ. So, you know, you're in this beautiful room. It smells gorgeous like cedar. This rug's got the vibe of the drums that the guitars always play to. And this guitar's got the most incredible history. And then we're surrounded by the Gibson SG from Humble Pie on the Hammond B. And then on the wall is hanging his... Um, uh, his Epiphone Texan guitar that he wrote his two most famous songs on, on the same day I learned from Darren. Huh. Uh, 
Do You Feel Like We Do and Baby I Love Your Way. He wrote both of those songs on the same day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon on that Epiphone text and guitar that almost got perished in the floods in Dallas and uh, Nashville at Gibson Custom Shop when it when it flooded um, and it they managed to salvage it and he still plays it today. Wow, that's quite a story. And like you said, you know, immortal acts, it certainly is. Um, and, that, and then I mentioned that the afterward is by Susie Quattro, one of the, yeah. coolest, you know, yeah. women rockers who came, of, you know, of age in the 70s. Um, how did you meet her and which uh, guitar of hers did you photograph? Well, I met her because she came to the NAM show where I have a booth every year. And I have for several years, I've been sponsoring the She Rocks Awards. And 108 Rockstar Guitars um, was sponsoring She Rocks awards every year so Susie Quatcher was being honored and so uh through Laura Whitmore who is the president CEO whatever producer of the She Rocks Awards and um Women's International Music Network as well uh she's the founder of that it's actually the network that puts on She Rocks Awards anyway Susie came and I met her and invited her to come do an interview at my booth with Lon Friend who's been along for the ride one of my wingmen on this project and so uh Lon and I uh sat down with Susie and we interviewed her and it was really great and actually you know what I I'd met her sister Patty uh, Quattro at NAM before I met Susie. And I, I, I think the year before, because Fanny was honored and Patty Quattro was part of that crew. So Fanny was honored and I met Patty Quattro and she, after NAM, she came out to my house and I photographed her guitar that's in the book. I mean, these are chicks, the first chicks ever in rock and roll came, came out of Detroit, like Kiss and Alice Cooper and so many. These were the freaking rock chicks, Joan Jett and Patty Quattro took no shit from nobody, as you could see in Leather Tuscadero, <laughs> Happy Days later on, you know? Uh, yes, I do remember that character. <laughs> and Joan Jett was right behind her, inspired by Susie. So at any rate, Susie left her, um, so I met Susie at, at NAM uh, through Patty. Patty actually introduced, we had a, uh, Patty did an email intro and then, um, we talked, I talked to Susie about photographing the guitar and then she came to Nam and, but she didn't have her guitar that her dad gave her, her bass, that that was her number one, most important bass. It was in England. So I said, that's all right. I'm going to come out. I'll come to England and I'll photograph your bass there. And then it worked out that, um, I also had requested Steve Marriott. So we were just talking about Peter Frampton, mm -hmm. uh, and humble pie. I had reached out to, uh, the family of, of Steve Marriott and was able to locate his guitar with by a guy named Mick Taylor. Uh, and he, he had Steve Marriott's guitar. And of course, you know, the last time Steve, played was with Peter in LA when they recorded three tracks together. They were going to come out with some kind of a comp, an album together. And he flew back to London, went home, went to out to a bar, to a pub before going home and went home and had a cigarette that fell, that fell down and place burned. And he died in the, in the, in the fire. Wow. And so I, I, I got permission to photograph that guitar. So I had two now. Uh, in in England so I'm like okay let's go to England so I flew over it was during COVID it was the September of uh, uh, 2020 and I flew over there and I had to quarantine for two weeks I actually stayed with Pearl Thompson for two weeks and his wife Diana we had a wonderful time 
Um, and then I drove back. I'd like to drive around England. I went to stopped in Stonehenge and, you know, did all my, my cosmic stuff. And, uh, so it, it, it weaves in the cosmic, like my yoga and yet meditation and things, it weaves in magic. So I'm, I go stay with, with Pearl, who is magical then. And I go stop in Stonehenge on the way back. I drive to Susie. I've got my photo shoot with her. It's on the 29th of September, I believe. And I go to her place and we have this fantastic photo session together. And uh, as I'm leaving, I am saying, I say to her, Hey, by the way, you know, Peter Frampton's writing the forward or wrote the forward already for the book. And she's like, that's, that's so cool. She goes, I, I got a story for you. When I first came over, she left her family. They, they were in a family band, Patty Quattro and her, you know, her whole family were in a band together and she, she got the opportunity. She was offered an opportunity to go make an album of her own in England. And so she left and it was very hard. She, she was young and she went by herself alone and she didn't have much money in her pocket. And she went and she just had faith in herself and knew it was something that she had to do. And um, so they had to hire uh, musicians for the, the album. So they were hiring session musicians. And at the time, Peter Frampton was a session musician in, in London too. They were both, you know, working, trying to break it. And uh, so he ended up playing guitar on one of her songs and she really wanted him to be in her band. because She had to form a permanent band and her, her uh, producer, Mickey most said, Hey, listen, Susie, he's amazing, but he cannot be in the band because there can only be one star in the band and it has to be you because he was, producing her yeah and he recognized peter's talent when he was before he had really made it into the scene he was a session musician so uh he was it's really telling of mickey most he was legendary producer you know he had the eye for talent he saw Susie. he saw peter and they went their separate ways though and that was that and then uh she told me that story and i'm like so cool because i had peter and now i i left her place and I'm driving down the road on my way to Steve Marriott's place. So we just finished talking about Peter Frampton. I'm going to photograph Steve Marriott's guitar. And on the way there, I'm just thinking, I really need Susie to write the afterword. It would be so perfect, first of all, to have the first lady in rock's voice, a woman's voice needs to be heard and her story, you know, and she, and so I wrote to her and she's, she's a channel. She's a psychic channel. And I also am and she recognized that in me at nam she was like hmm. telling the stuff and so when we reconnected in england we had this this really cool conversation about channeling and uh so i just was like you know what we've been channeled into this situation you know this is a complete full circle between you and peter you know you both he went on to be a superstar and susie's very successful and inspired so many women in music so yeah I emailed her when I got home and I told her what I'd been thinking and she said yeah I I love the idea I'm I'm the one that's supposed to do it I agree with you it was channeled so that's how Susie ended up writing it that's incredible and, and kind of the same thing with Peter when I photographed the phoenix he named it phoenix after it was found um 
when I was photographing, I was just like, wow, this is so freaking cool. I'm hovering over this amazing guitar and the energy that was emanating, you know, was so joy. It was so happy. And you know what? That rug that it's laying on is joyful, but yet it's black. But the flowers on it give it this beautiful joy as well and lovingness. That guitar is so happy with cradled back in, in Peter's hands. And uh, what a story, you know, for them to be reunited like that. I love that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, uh, you know, I'm thinking of that photograph now. It's like a kind of like a midnight garden or a nighttime garden with the black. Great way flowers. to describe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really something it's beautiful. else. Um, you know, that, that really is a perfect story because it's kind of a rock and roll nightmare for this podcast, but it does have a happy ending. And, um, but I know that you photographed some other guitars with uh, checkered or dark past. Can you talk uh -huh. about some of those? Um, yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to kind of mention that I photographed John Lennon's J160E guitar mm -hmm. and that guitar was with him throughout the years and he ended up sanding it off and he used it for the bed-ins both of the bed-ins and he drew a google of um, himself and Yoko on it and the date in Amsterdam and then he drew the same google of them both and the date in Montreal and uh it was just it's such an honor to be able to get access to that guitar. And that's the same guitar that my dad um, bought. My mom bought my dad in 1964 when he was, you know, the Beatles were all that. And I remember listening to the Beatles driving down the road and uh, my mom bought that same guitar for my dad. So that particular uh, guitar is meaningful to me. And then to be able to photograph John Lennon's was just amazing because he's the one who inspired, you know, made that guitar popular. Um, so then let's look at Dimebag Daryl. Yeah. Dimebag Daryl, the Dean from Hell guitar, you know, that he, his dad, he wanted that flying V so bad. And his, he actually, at the same time, won one in a concert, uh, in a contest, and his dad also bought him one as a surprise. And so he ended up with two. Oh, and wow. um, one of them ended up getting painted um, with lightning bolts on it. And um, it's got the whole Kiss collection. Like he was a huge Kiss fan. He wore a Kiss belt buckle and the whole back of the guitar is all scratched off and uh, from the Kiss belt buckle. And uh, it's, it, I photographed it on top of his Kiss pinball machine with his cat, his Egyptian cat in the scene. Like, so it's got that kind of horror gory kind of look. But the, what, what's so fascinating is that the two of them, Dimebag Daryl and John Lennon, is different as they were artists, they were brought together by their death. They were both killed by deranged fans on the same day, December 8th. Wow. 24 years apart from each other. Huh. I did not know that. That's yeah. eerie. Yeah. So, you know, that's not a, a but I have a blood splattered guitar for you. And that's Orianthi. You know, she was, she uh, was hired by Alice Cooper, who's of course, you know, the horror goth guy. <laughs> that's right. And uh, she is gorgeous and as talented as she is, he, he like snapped her up and she toured with Alice Cooper and she was a, she's a uh, Paul Reed Smith uh, player. She loves Paul Reed Smith, inspired by Carlos Santana. And uh, she had, has a great relationship with Paul Reed Smith. And she's like, Hey, I need a, I need like a blood splattered guitar I'm playing with Alice Cooper. And I need to have something that's got some, you know, Alice Cooper vibe on it so uh they made her that guitar and they did this blood splattered 
guitar with red paint on a white Paul Reed Smith. And when they shipped it to her, they had a, you know, the fur inside of the guitar case. It was still, the paint was, they didn't know, was still a little bit wet. Uh So when she opened up the case, some of that fuzz from the inside of the case stuck on it. Um, But you can't really tell, you can't really see it, but it adds some character. And she says some of her own blood is in there mixed in (laughs) from playing you know her fingers bleeding (laughs) oh my gosh yeah I mean there must be some times that guitarists have bled onto their guitars did you photograph any like that yeah Whitey cursed from he he played with Iggy Pop for 10 years and after the Stooges and he was playing one night not with Iggy but he was playing one night at a Halloween party and he was playing um this red Gibson um it's not a Gibson. It was a custom made uh, uh, SG red uh, guitar and his fingers started bleeding really bad and he just kept playing and he never played that guitar again. It is completely blood caked underneath oh, wow. the strings in between the pickups and I photographed it at his house and in the backyard he had this huge headstone that he found when he was a kid that has this beautiful angel on it. And he found it with his brother, I think, or a friend of his near the railroad tracks. Like the, tr- the train would go through the town and every now and then like stuff would fall off the train, the train cars. And he and his friend would, you know, they'd be go walk up and down the tracks, see what they could find. And they found that headstone and he went home and asked his mom if they could go back and get it. And they did. Oh, and wow. To this day has that headstone in his backyard. So I took that SG put it right in front of the headstone with this beautiful angel on it. And it's got all this bread cake blood of his on there dried. Got amazing shots. Wow. That (laughs) is really something else. I mean, that's like (laughs) something that is very, very unique to, you know, you having the perseverance to track down all of these wonderful, amazing players. Yeah, that one I had to, I had to go up to Calgary, Canada for that. And that worked out great because my dad lives in Edmonton. So my yeah, mom, that is, well, you know, somebody it. everywhere now, don't you? Yeah. I mean, that's what started happening is everywhere I was going on a trip, I'd be like, okay, who, what artist is over there? Who do I know that I, I might be able to get access to? And that's kind of how that, that trip happened. We talked, spoke about before when I shot Jimmy Page's guitar. So we just kind of made the rounds there in England and did a whole bunch of artists all at once. And I've done that a few times. Um, in fact, this, the last shoot that I did, last two shoots, was I flew back to England uh, in December of 2020. So I had been there in September for Susie and Steve Marriott. And I also photographed Pearl Thompson's guitar while I was staying with them. The first guitar that he was writing major songs on, like Boys Don't Cry, is written on that, on that guitar that's in the book. Um, it's also featured with some of his handmade silver jewelry as well. Um, but anyway, I, I flew to London, uh, like second or third week of December, second week of December, and everything was on lockdown. Nothing. You could just only go to the store and back or order room service. So there were no restaurants or anything were open. So I, I had been given the approval to photograph Paul McCartney's base, his 63 Hofner base. And I just was like, wow, you know, when they said yes, I had to break, make be brave and go travel to England during COVID. Uh, so uh, I went over there and it was just amazing to be able to go to his recording studio where he actually recorded an entire album by himself, playing all the instruments, all the vocals, everything. 
in that studio. Yeah. And they had um, something like, I think it was um, uh, uh, Coppola, Francis Coppola's son uh, set up something like 50 cameras in that studio and they shot every angle while he was performing all of the, all the songs. And it was just amazing. And they did it from a, another room. They had all the cameras mounted in the studio, but all the controls were taking place in a completely other building. So Paul was in there by himself doing all that stuff, drums and vocals and bass and guitar and piano. And he has an amazing harpsichord and he was the one instrument in the studio that was not covered with a cloth. And so I was photographing his bass on the, on a beautiful blue velvet background that I had brought. And then for the final shots, I placed that same blue velvet on the bench of that harpsichord that had this beautiful uh, mother pearl and different, maybe it's, uh, you know, different, uh, they engraved in the face of the harpsichord, the name and the year, I think it was 1980. And I put the bass on the bench and got this amazing shot of the keys and the bass. Just my favorite shot of the book, probably. It's so beautiful. Gorgeous shot. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick just one favorite. Um, I'm sure for you, even more so than me. Yeah, it, it is. It is tough, but that it has to be one of my favorite shots in the book. It's yeah, it's like it does capture a certain magic. Um, well, before I let you go, uh, this is the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. So I have to ask, what is your rock and roll nightmare? Oh, rock and roll nightmares that I can't <laughs> photograph Ace Free Ace uh, I mean Angus Young's guitar yet or Mark Knopfler's it's uh I've asked so many times for both of them and so far I've not been granted access and you know that makes me kind of sad uh but actually one of the worst nightmares was when I went to go photograph Roger Stein's guitar from the tubes Roger Steen uh-huh. uh and um my dog nearly got attacked and killed by two coyotes valentine oh my God. Wow. They, they, these coyotes jumped the fence and they were going after her and she was traumatized so it was a real nightmare so i had to cancel that photo shoot and did you ever get that guitar i did the next <laughs> the following year i had to email roger i felt so bad I said, hey, Roger, I'm so sorry. I'm not making it. My dogs uh, nearly got attacked by coyotes. And um, so, and she was, it changed her for life. You know, my dog was that traumatized. Um, so at any rate, yeah, a year later, Roger was kind enough to let me meet up with him. And I photographed his guitar. That was his rock and roll nightmare. He's on the plane. He had checked the, the his last call, the honey burst. It, it was in one of those, I forget the name of the case, but it's like a double thick, super hard case he checks the guitar he's on the plane they're deplaning and he's looking out the window and he sees just in time this food truck drive past as his guitar case is falling off the luggage rack and the food truck runs over it oh my god (laughs) so he gets the guitar the case is completely cracked open like it ran over and so both the sides came up and it dented the center then the guitar was in bad shape the uh, airlines took the guitar, said they were going to, I don't know what, repair it or whatever. I don't know. But at, at any rate, they couldn't, they couldn't assess the value. And after three years of fighting with them, they finally sent it back to him. And I think he got some insurance money for it. And uh, he had it rebuilt and he still has it in his arsenal. This is number oh, wow. two guitar. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So he, his worst nightmare ended up, ended up all right. Yeah. Well, that's something else. Um, so Lisa, where can guitar fans find and follow you online and where can they buy your books? Uh-huh. Amazon.com is the easiest place to buy the book, but it's in all bookstores. It's, it's stocked everywhere you can buy books. Um, and you can just Google search that immortal axes. That's my website as well. Immortalaxes.com. And you can, there's an option there to click to buy the book right there and it'll take you straight to Amazon. So it's pretty easy. If you want to follow me online on Instagram, I'm at LSJ Rock Photos. LSJ Rock Photos. And that's the same for Twitter and Facebook. Uh, LSJ Rock Photos. All and right. I also teach yoga. I teach Kundalini <laughs> yoga. I have a class called Rock Your Kundalini. And uh, I teach every Saturday at 10 a.m. live on Instagram from 10 to 11 a.m. LA time. And that's under cosmic 108 cosmic underscore 108 so come rock some kundalini with me yeah perfect all right i know you signed on a couple of times i have indeed i have rocked my kundalini (laughs) 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 well thanks lisa such a pleasure to have you on to talk about your guitars uh uh, your guitar photography and uh looking forward to seeing what you come up with next and may you find those two guitars that have eluded you Yes, thank you. There's more than two, and uh, but I appreciate the push for sure. All right. <laughs> thank you. As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. This is an excerpt from the nonfiction edition, and the chapter is Only the Good Die Young. Some say that bluesman Robert Johnson was the first member of the 27 Club, And this is because he supposedly sold his soul to the devil. Johnson is not the first musician to be dogged with such rumors. Niccolo Paganini was the 18th century rock star whose violin virtuosity could have come only, his critics surmised, from Satan himself. The classical music marvel could play up to 12 notes per second, giving the likes of Eddie Van Halen and Yngwie Malmsteen a run for their money. He was also a hedonist and a sexual dynamo who always had groupies. I am not handsome, but when women hear me play, they come crawling to my feet, Paganini bragged. Even so, his rock star status was nothing compared to pianist Franz Liszt, who was portrayed by Roger Daltrey in a 1970s biopic. Having said that, those classical cats live long lives. Johnson had it hard from the very beginning. He was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, on or around May 8, 1911, and he was the 11th son of Julia Dodds and the only one born out of wedlock. When Johnson himself later married, he lost his first wife due to complications of childbirth, and his second wife also died. It seemed to be cosmic punishment for his mother's sin, and as it turned out, Julia Dodds was there when Johnson drew his last breath on August 16, 1938, at the age of 27.
This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Nightmares Books. That's B O O K S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time. <laughs>